1: Moonlit musings for mums,
2: madams, Ooh. and meat packers. Oh, never mind, I must have misheard. The late night alternative with Ian Lee. The station's brilliant. On Talk Radio. There we go, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> That is. One of the most insane songs I've ever heard, ladies and gentlemen. Would you please welcome the guitarist from Nicky Nacky New? It's Dave Hill. <laughs> Nicky Nacky. N- you were you were almost. He's obviously
1: be, checking things out.
2: You were you were going to be called Nicky Nacky New instead yeah, of slaves. It,
1: yeah, it was um, it was because we had this agent block in London, like, <laughs> and he keeps saying, "Yeah, all right, Nicky Nacky New," and we're going, "What the heck's Nicky Nacky New?" <laughs> it's it was just, it, I think it was one of those off the beam thoughts that we had occasionally in the band sometimes you're trying to change your name we came to london in in those days and the the studio guy said i like the sound of you he said would you make an album in this set and we made an album for this jack bavistock at fontana records yeah. who who seemed to be quite connected as a man he showed an interest in us And he said, the thing is, he says, I don't like your name, you know, in-betweens, I mean what's the in between? Yeah. so it got a bit like that about the
2: nicky nacky you No, know, coming up with a i ba- i've been in bands when i was younger coming up with a band name is the hardest oh yeah thing because you want something that's kind of catchy but you can say over and over again yeah. and you don't get bored of it how did you because it was ambrosia but dave hill from slade by the way ladies and gentlemen yes, in case you wondered. <laughs> um so, ambrosia slade how did you come up with that and then shorten it. Well, basically, he offered
1: some money to members of the staff that worked at Fontana to come up with a name. And there was a woman there, apparently, who used to call things she owns by names, so she remembers them. So it could be a purse, which is Ambrose, and it <laughs> it, it, it could be a bag named Slade. That's the going story, and she got 50 quid. She <laughs> Yeah, she got 50 quid, and she came up with this idea of Ambrose Slade. Jack Bavasot went for it. He said, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's that's much better than the in-betweens, you see. So, uh, okay, fine. And then he said, but you'll never do anything with northern management. That's what he said. He said, you need to be somebody in the business in London to actually hear you. And, of course, he was right. But what we didn't realise is his connection from that time led to a connection to an agent in London. Yeah. I think his name was John Gunnell. John Gunnell, I think, was connected to Chaz or Stigwood, Robert Stigwood. Yeah. Something like, it was like a little bit of a melting pot of several... Stigwood was the agent for the Bee Gees? Yes, he right? was, yeah. And Chaz
2: Chandler was, had been in the Animals.
0: Yeah,
1: I think there was a connection there somewhere. I've never really asked Chaz precisely how he heard about us. Yeah. But John Gunnell met us and said... I know somebody, right? That's that's the way it was. I know somebody. And the somebody he knew was Chas Chandler yeah. and it was like it was like two things meeting that that maybe are looking for each other, yeah. I don't know. You know that saying of two souls that yeah. that can spend a lifetime and eventually find each other. It's a bit deep that one. But I think I think yes, that's some another side of me. Um but the the thing is had we not been ready, we might not have been ready to be heard by someone. Yeah. Prior to that, it was many years of working. Yeah. I'd like to point out to your listeners that this was no short-term job. This was no expat. You've been doing
2: this for a while.
1: Yeah. There was no reality shows. There was no quick fixes. You've got two things in this business, mainly playing live to yeah. gather an audience then possibly radio, if you're lucky, you might get a bit of recording, if you're lucky. But most of that, it was road work, playing, like the Beatles. Yeah. They had to work the pubs and clubs like we did, and the Mecca ballrooms, and go to Germany, yeah. or whatever they did. But from this situation of in the studio... He got us to make an album, and we call it Beginnings, Mm. you see. And it's got a lot of extraordinary things on that album. Is that
2: the one with Martha My Dear on? Yes,
1: Um, and a a Frank Zappa song. Wow. You know, Ain't Got No Art. I mean, we were certainly a bit abstract. Yeah. We weren't a pop band. We didn't always get a lot of work because we wouldn't do chart material. Yeah. Say. See, sometimes promoters in Germany would ask for a band who plays top twenty material. Well, oh, that
2: was the gig in the sixties. It was, mm. was a band would go and play, you know, a couple of hours in a nightclub, but you had to do all the hits from the top twenty. Yeah. Maybe you could sneak in a couple of your own songs. Yeah. But you guys, I've got to say, beginnings that that was the skinhead. No, it was phase. before that. Was okay, right? Okay, yeah.
1: That was the Ambrose Slade. So right. we were Ambrose Slade. Uh, we got Northern Management. Then Chaz heard something, and then John Gall said, look, I'll put him in one of my clubs in London, which was just off Bond Street somewhere, and right. it was called Rasputin. And it was one of those I where mean, you go downstairs, yeah, and there's a little stage up the corner where they're playing uh, records. So there's a bit of a DJ. And, and it, we're stuffed up a corner, quite a small stage, very right. low. And then... In comes Chaz, and we see him coming down the stairs. You see, because it was only small, and we just we just did what we've always done. We didn't pretend to be anything other than what we were. Yeah. But he watched us, and he just came across and said, "I want a manager," wow. and it was like some movie clip, you know, yeah. where somebody walks in slow motion with a cigar, <laughs> you know. <laughs> hi, <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna man no I'm, you guys stars uh, yeah you he know, was so enthusiastic, and one of the first things he said to me was he said, "Oh, you're quite small aren't you <laughs> he, said, he, said, he, says, he says you're quite small I said, yeah he said, I think we could have a really good idea with you get the biggest guitar you could possibly get <laughs> right and
2: put it on you he said I and I thought, I like this,
1: Matt. He was speaking your language at that
2: ideas. point, it? <laughs> no, no, no. We not let's, let's get the plug in now. We're going to get plenty of plugs in. We've been talking about this book all week, Dave. Uh, you've, got, you've got a book out, Dave Hill. So here it is, the autobiography. This is an updated yeah. version because it came out last year and there's an extra chapter in this one. Yeah. We have been banging on about this all week you very kindly brought a copy in case we didn't have one. We've got three somewhere on this premises. Mm-hmm. Um, I've devoured it. I've read it. I've loved it. Uh, it. You can buy it, of course, on Amazon, the usual places. If you go, dear listener, to... I've tweeted the link to the Big Green Bookshop, which I think you read oh, yeah, a couple of weeks really good, ago. good, that one. Uh, our mate Simon runs that, and there's, he's got a load of signed copies. Probably yeah. not a load now, probably just a handful. But I've tweeted the link. You can get signed copies for a tenner. Yeah, that's a good bookshop. It's a great bookshop. Simon yeah. is, is <laughs> a, a big fan of the independent bookshops. So tell us... About the skinhead phase, yeah. then, because that is for those you know, people, everyone everyone knows what Slade looked like. But the pictures of you guys with the skinheads is a real mm. shock to the system.
1: It was a shock to the system when we did it. <laughs> I bet it was. I mean, we'd all got nice girls when we had long hair. They actually left us when we cut all. Our you had hair a off. you had a posh millionaire's daughter or something. Didn't yeah, you, I, going out I was going out with a girl from Alton Towers, which is a big <laughs> theme park. Yeah, I, I sort of fancied myself maybe marrying into the family. You know, so <laughs> well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I went out with a girl. She was quite posh. She sort of said things like "mater" and "pater." You oh, know, that's right. crikey, that is posh. Yeah, yes. and she got a sports car, and and then she come to our humble council house and pick me up. <laughs> and um, yes, she was she was quite pretty, um, and uh, I met her when we did uh, the old band. Did a show on on the Orton Towers Park, you say so? And I think we were on with a group called The Love Affair at the time, oh, and it yeah, yeah. really happening. And I met this girl, and, and she was she was like twiggy thin, you know. She was she was blonde, and I've always liked blondes. And and I, I I do remember the day I rung her <laughs> to say um, I've had a phone call from my manager, Chas Chandler, who's who's told me to get my hair cut off. He said, it'll be worthwhile because I'll be a millionaire, he said. <laughs> And I thought, you know, I like the sound of those. How many noughts are there in a million? And I was going, in other words, Chaz was very persuasive, right? What happened about this skinhead thing, it wasn't our idea. It was our publisher, Keith Altham, and he wouldn't mind me mentioning this. Keith is a lovely man. And he's the big publicist at the time, enemy yeah. writer. He publicist of the Stones and all sorts of things he was doing. Anyway, he was our publicist, and um, and Chaz was thinking. Now, as a lot of bands were long ago, I think they were just trying to figure out some way of getting us in, in, in known. You see,
2: every band needed a gimmick, didn't something? They'd have, have, have something different. So to stand hard,
1: out. And no matter how good you were, it was trying to get an inroad somehow, you know. He he was trying to think of a way to let let the powers that be mm-hmm. know about us.
0: I think and, in the book you talk about you had a casual look, so it was not unlike yeah, well, the Stones well, we looked at a little time. bit,
1: um, how can I put it, pa- late 60s was very much slightly flower-powery, yeah. very right. curly, and, a, you know, a bit sort of um, kind of a, a mixture of looking slightly feminine, And, of course, the clothes were great for me. I loved all that. Kensington Market, oh, yeah, go there, buy the flares. And it was all like that then. And um, we'd come through the flower power and all that stuff and, you know, Pink Floyd and all that. We'd come through that. And um, so we with Chas, we got long hair. So, yes, we probably looked like a lot of groups as well. But we looked pretty good. And Keith Alton said something to Chas. He said, oh, Chas, you know... There's this skinhead movement. They don't have a group," he said. Chaz was going ding. <laughs> <laughs> he was going, no, they don't have a group. Maybe they could have us. Yeah, you know. And he said, "What have they got to do?" He said, "Cut the hair off." Anyway, Keith Altham said that. He said, oh, "Yeah, it's a good idea." Anyway, then Keith started to get a, a, a kind of bothered about it, so he rang Chaz up again. He says, "You can't do it, Chaz." He went, too late, <laughs> <laughs> too late, Keith. They're down to barbers, all over there, cut oh, up and, and and Keith's going, oh, no, they'll blame me. <laughs> he said, they're nice guys, you can't, he would done it. And I remember I went home and it was all chopped off. And Dad's looking at me, you know. And you know what? We had to go to the Isle of Arran, which took all night to get there. It's way up Scotland and it's cross on a ship to go and play two or three venues in the Isle of Arran. And we were scared in
2: case any skinheads turned up and <laughs> might beat us up, you know.
0: <laughs> you look like the Bubba
2: Boys. I love the fact, because Slade, you, you know, the you, you, Super Yob, was you, where did the Super Yob nickname come uh, from? Because it makes you sound like such a tough guy. And I get the vibe that you're kind of a pussycat, really. I got a good heart. Um <laughs> I
1: think, yeah, I'm not. I know I was never in fights at school. I never did that not i didn't so i always seem to have friends that beat people but <laughs> i didn't have been you know there was always something going on but yeah the the super yarby's coming back to keith altham again right. it was him yeah uh, Keith figures a quite name, a bit yeah. of my life um keith was it was at a time when people were called superstars or mega stars yeah. and i had a number plate right which was on a car I bought. Oh, it was um, Sunbeam Alp- Alpine. There we go. And what I did not know was the number. plate. I never looked. Yeah. I bought the car. I sold my Spitfire, a little Spitfire red one. And I just bought it. And and it, one day I went to Solihull to do a pub. But it was a posh pub, you know. It was, hey, say, old boy, half a pint. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a little bit like that. And, and I parked the car. And they were, they were all Jaguars and things. And this bloke comes on and he goes, I say, he said, Yobby. I said, what, what do you mean, Yobby? He said, that, that number plate to the back of your car, Yobby. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit like that, you know, yeah. some old colonel or something. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, yeah, I didn't notice that. Of course, the indication of what a Yob means, you yeah. see. yeah. So... Anyway, this this kind of thing stuck in Keith Altham's mind. He said, "Well, we a Yob like, one." He said, "Why don't we call him Super Yob?" You say, Quite and nice. from that idea, yeah. formulated the kind of guitar that became along. Yeah. That I had this guitar to match my costumes, and we called it Super Yob. Yeah. So it's become a, a, an attachment. You can you can. It's see there it. on the front. Yeah. <coughs> there it is. That's. That's the original one, that is, right? Have you still got that guitar? No. Did they I'll get... tell you who's got that guitar. Marco Peroni from the Adam and the Ants. Has he really? Yeah. He bought it out of a I shop. I wasn't expecting it going there, blimey. <laughs> well, the reason he's got it is because I flogged it to a shop. Right. And that was a mistake. Yeah, of course. But he hasn't got it in his possession at the moment. It's actually in an exhibition in Liverpool. Oh, wow. Of memorabilia. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's David Supio because that's what it is. But I had it remade by the same people. Right. But I put some lights up the up the neck as you do. You,
0: know, well, you got some <laughs> Mark great, two.
2: <laughs> you got some great guitars in the seventies. I know a band that was really influenced by you. I think they ripped quite a lot off you. were Kiss, of course, in the yeah. states. Yeah. And Ace Frehley kind of took the guitars to the next level. Ace Frehley, the guitarist in Kiss. Would have lights that would go up and down, like disco lights, and then he'd fire rockets <laughs> yeah. from his guitar and stuff yeah. like that. But Kiss, I think, came and saw you when you went to the States and kind of went, yeah. well, oh,
1: uh, we can do this. This was in in the full frontal Soupyob days, right? And I got that guitar. And we played somewhere in New York. It was quite a New York, uh, it was a famous venue where a lot of rock bands played. And we headed to New York because that's where the impact of the publicity was for yeah. us, you see, and L.A. and all those. But New York was like, oh, right, we're going to do this gig in New York, you see. So there's a funny story coming up here, which is in the book. But it's, it was a night. I got the, the platforms on. They are quite high that time. And I'd got the outfit and the job. And the we didn't know Kiss and we didn't know who they were. Yeah. They were just in the audience. It wasn't until much later that I met Gene Simmons from Kiss, right. who relates the story, yeah. and he got it wrong, but it sounded funny what he thought, right? <laughs> I came on the stage, and we had what you call a little walkway. You could go down the centre. You often see it now in big shows, yeah, yeah. where you know Mick Jagger was walking right in the middle of the audience. Right. Well, we had a little walkway, see, and I spotted that. The problem was I was a bit enthusiastic... and I went went weighing down the front you know doing all that and I fell and and I fell I fell on my back and it looked like a Reeves and Mortimer sketch I don't know if you've ever seen that but my boots come up (laughs) it was like and I thought how do I get around this and I'm going I'm looking around and the others are killing themselves oh, laughing. I so I what I do, I tried to make it look, I actually did it on purpose, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, you styled so it out. I, I sort of, was, uh, yeah, oh, wasn't that funny? And <laughs> uh, the, the Kiss members bought it because <laughs> when I saw him, he said, uh, he comes up and he goes, you know what the Americans are like? They go, Mr. Hill, awesome, you know, and they your yeah. your yeah, he's got Gene Simmons, a big tall guy. He said, I saw you in the song of well, Radio City or something like that in New York. He said, you came out to the audience and you went V sign. Right. Well, I never did that. Anyway. <laughs> and he said, you did that to the audience and then you went on your back and kicked your legs out. And I thought that was really out of sight. That's part <laughs> of the act, of course,
2: isn't it? Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's take a quick break. We've got Dave Hill from Slade. Not Nicky Nacky no, not the embassy. No, no, no. Um, he's got a brilliant book. So here it is. Uh, honestly, it's, a, it's such a cracking read. It may, it's going to make a brilliant Christmas present. Um, this is The Late Night Alternative with Ian and Kath on Talk Radio. The Late Night Lip Service for lovers loners and lounge lizards. Yeah, well, where, where exactly is your accent from? The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee. Oh, I've forgotten your name already. Excuse me. On Talk Radio.
3: For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more.
4: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, you!
2: Are you mad for I'm a celebrity? Are you crazy for critters? Can you not wait for
1: the next Bush Tucker trial? Then you need to listen to Jungle VIP, the daily podcast that gives you all the goss straight from the jungle floor. I'm Jamie East, and every day I'll be bringing you reaction from the latest episode of I'm a Celebrity. I'll be talking to campmates from past series,
2: hearing directly from the Outback, and setting stars my very own bush tucker trials. It'll be free to listen to every single morning. All you got to do is search for Jungle VIP on Apple Podcasts,
1: Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. And make sure you subscribe to never miss an episode.
2: Jungle VIP, better than eating a kangaroo's... The late
0: night alternative with Ian Lee
2: on Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. We noticed your hair's getting
1: a bit like Ringo.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so we just so we're just back on. Dave. Dave's ah. telling us about when he worked for Tarmac and wasn't allowed to grow his hair. No. And they would they would they, would they call you in and say, "Come on now, Dave. You'll well, have to get yeah, that chopped I think
1: it, uh, it was a defining moment. I'd spent two years there, and obviously there was some discrepancy about my spelling. Uh, you know that certain documents were being filed under the wrong wrong letters or something like that. There was that comment. I went to night school to improve my English. It did not improve it. And one day, um, I think I must have been seventeen. I was called in by the personnel officer because you had one of those in those days. A personnel officer is basically. He's got a he's got some issue with you, you say, and he says. Um, I think
2: it's human resources now, isn't it? HR is what personnel yeah. are used to. It really, means yeah. the same thing yeah, though.
0: Yeah. Trouble
3: generally. Trouble.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it, it kicks off by, this is a job for life, and it was sort of like. You understand, you're not doing very good at night school, and we've also noticed your hair's great and we also know that you play in a group. So and. You do realize that these groups don't really get anywhere. It's very rare that, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it's a point of view. Yeah. You know, this is a solid job, you say. And it was a kind of like, maybe that was a calling card for me because that led to me going back to mom and dad, getting them together. And there's mom who got me the job. There's dad who's a mechanic. But they both know I'm musical. Yeah. And they know. I'm a natural musical person. Mom, you see, father was a classical pianist if you read the story, right? Now, I've always been melodic in my mind, in my playing. Although I'm a rock player I'm very strong in rhythm. Oh, there's more to it than that with you though. But there's a lot of... um, There's a lot more going on than you realise with me. um, Which will come out one day in my own album, but there's a lot going on with me and Chas Chandler recognised my guitar playing as unique in itself.
2: I want to talk to you about the guitar playing because I genuinely think you are one of the most underrated guitar players of all time. Because I, I, I think I think Slade are as good as Led Zeppelin but led zeppelin with his big albums band doing these long songs and, and slade you know you're doing these 3 minute pop songs almost yeah. i think you're, you're i think the band, the sound is as good as led zeppelin i think your guitar playing is incredible we've been playing slade songs all week and just going listen to this guitar bit that song we just played um the monkey these mo- kind of monkeys can't swing your guitar sound on that is ridiculously good and I was interested to read that you're left-handed, mm. but you play the guitar right-handed. right-handed. Yeah. is that partly what gets you your sound? Do you think? Well, that's unusual? I I say that
1: the 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 situation when you when you were 13, as I was, and you've been taught a few lessons by the biology teacher, who's a jazz guitarist. Yeah, does a few lessons on the side, and he said you you know, that guitar's not very good, you got Dave. You said, well, it isn't, because it's a cheap one from Kay's catalogue, you see, and my dad won't spend too much money in case I decide I don't want to do it. Of course. Because that used to happen in those days. So he said, well, it's not going to help He said, anyway, you can't play it upside down the other way around, see. I yeah. said, well, I'm left-handed. He said, well... You'll have to play it right, Andy, because there weren't any left. Was guitar.
2: McCartney around at that point? Because that was no. no. So this was pre McCartney. Okay, I, right. I got no indication. Yeah. You've got
1: to bear in mind, in those days, there weren't any guitar shops yeah. either. You might get a a music shop that sold the odd drums and flutes and those dreadful recorders you have at school and bits and bobs and you know saxophone bits and yeah. You got that, and you might see one guitar in the wind. It wasn't like. It is now a supermarket of guitars. Yeah. It wasn't like that. Yeah. In fact, you might have to go to London to find something that would look anything like a Fender.
2: And also, the thing as well then that people forget: electric guitars were really new. Electric guitars hadn't been around that. No. I mean, when did the, the electric guitars like came out? Early fifties or something? It became well. The guitars you saw in catalogues were like Barney Kessel,
1: or they looked quite fat. Yeah, and they were like jazz guitars, you see. And they looked alien to mm. us. To me, you know, the first guitar I saw was acoustic. Yeah. This young kid down by me uh, had got this acoustic, and that's what attracted my attention. It was it was the oddity of it. It was, it was like it wasn't a piano, it wasn't a violin, yeah.
2: it wasn't a dreadful recorder or any of that. Well, very anti-recorders, I'm getting here. <laughs> you don't like the recorders. Well,
1: the other reason I don't like the recorders is that... The school teacher at junior school the headmistress, di- didn't particularly like me oh, anyway no. and she certainly didn't like an educated mother writing her a letter mm. she really took umbrage
2: to... yeah go and tell that story because that's incredible so,
1: oh yeah she didn't like that at all so your mum your
2: mum wrote a letter saying oh I would my like
1: mum wrote letters to i mean she she had dealings with enoch powell and all sorts of people yeah. in the midlands and Enoch knew she was a, a War Cabinet minister right. secretary. We didn't because she shouldn't mention it, you yeah. say, But Enoch. And the thing is, she was cited as important as she wouldn't have got those jobs. Yeah. She taught the neighbours, Pittman, Shorthand, and got them jobs, yeah. right? So you wouldn't mess around. Mom, in a, in a sense, was someone that, that was educated to take no. So she writes a letter to the headmistress um, this is great yeah and the headmistress is called Friar <laughs> better known as Friar Took um,
2: bit of rhyming slang going on as well i imagine uh, yeah yes. there was
1: a little bit of that. I don't want to be offensive she's <laughs> no. not, I'm sure she's not alive now no. but she she um, she received the letter and she stopped me dead in my tracks in the in the foyer I'm going to school and she said boy Hill said your mother's written me a letter she said do, do, Said, "Join the music class? He Said, "You can't join the music class. You can't read music." And I was like, "But I'm nine, you know." <laughs> I mean, um, and it, oh, it, it 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 was almost like end of yeah. yeah. And it was end of, and I felt kind of empty and 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 sort of like. I mean, mom didn't take it any further. Well, she That's exactly a response, you. but the recorder was the thing that. Right. You know, that was almost like blowing a ruddy whistle, Mm. you know. It was slightly annoying, but there wasn't many options. It was either that or the squeaky violin, and that would be hard work. But the guitar is a tactile instrument. It was something that... Pop music, there was skiffle, there was Lonnie Donegan, there was... Um, Tommy Steele from Nordish, is it? North Shoredish. Yeah. There was him. And he was like the pop star of the day, Tommy Steele. He was good-looking, you know. And, and at the time, there was American music coming over, like Paul Anker and people like that, you see. There was a lot of, you know, there was... Um, the first song I... I um, it was a Ricky Valance song called "Tell Laura I Love Her." Tell Do you Laura I, I love, love her. her. <laughs> One
2: of those tragic, isn't it? It doesn't he die it's in a, a car crash. It's a tragic song. Yeah, oh, A lot yes. of those songs. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. and,
1: and yes, yeah, so they are. A bit like Johnny, remember me? You yeah, know yeah. Johnny, Johnny you know, remember you know, me? You know, they, uh, and what's that? Ebony eyes of the uh, Evelyn Brothers. Oh, I don't know, know that my one. My ebony eyes, and, right. and the motorbike accident was. Do you remember that? Leader one, of the yeah? pack. Yeah, leader of the pack. There was, there was a lot all, of people dying in pop songs. Yeah, there, there was most certainly, you know, um, you know, things like that, and uh, you know, and uh, and I don't know. It's, it's 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 is what it is. I got the sheep music. I took the sheep music to... Close, And he said, well, look, he said, you got a bass player, haven't you? I said, yeah, he's my mate. He wants to learn bass. He said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, t- I'll teach you, but you've got to play the guitar right handed, mm. because there's no brainer. You've got to do that said, because you can't play it upside down. Yeah. It's just not going to work. The strings are wrong one way round." He said, you'll get used to it. And he was mm. absolutely right. I incredible. did get used to yeah. it. And it's alien to go that way now. Is it? You so can't it right? do it the other way no, at all. But I've met guitar players who are left-handed, who have learnt left-handed, and regret it. Right? Why is that?
2: What, why, what, what do they Well, regret?
1: I can only say that the business of your comment about my guitar playing mm. and things like that, if you think about it, the left hand is the power hand, isn't yeah. it? It's not doing the rhythm. Yeah. The right hand's doing the rhythm with me. So the left hand is doing... The, the, the guts in the strings the the bending of the notes the the rhythm yeah. of the notes because it's all going on in the sand and that's the way it is yeah. so it becomes the writing hand the yeah, definitive yeah. hand to grab the neck of a guitar and the rhythm I'm and I wouldn't say it isn't as important it is it is important the rhythm to be able to play good rhythm which I can do anyway yeah but I think, There is a way that a guy used to say that my guitar playing had a wobble in it, and what it was, it's
2: that's a really good description, yeah.
1: And he said it's the Davil wobble. (laughs) The Davil wobble. Yeah, Davil wobble. That can mean so many different things. Most guitar players bend if they're going to bend a string, they push it going up, Mm -hmm. going up. They push it, or they they do that. You see, Mm. you'll see them doing it. I do it the other way around. Right. So you go. And if you listen to some of the early things, you'll you'll hear that funny yeah. little wobble. Yeah, and it's just a sound. Chess Chandler picked up on that, you say. So sometimes in some of the records, it sticks out. Yeah. Um, have you heard? Um, you keep me straight. You keep me narrow. Of course, I have. Yes. Yeah. Well, you listen to the guitar parts yeah. in that. It's 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 a fluid guitar. Yeah. All the way through that song, right? In a sense of the way I'm playing. You hear the things I play in that.
2: What What is interesting reading the book is I, I'm always interested in how bands put put the sound together in the studio. And up until uh, Don's car crash, yeah, you were playing like a live band in the yeah, studio. Yeah. You'd go in as as a four-piece and you'd pretty much lay it down live. You, you say nods vocals, you'd do two takes maximum and that was it. And not much overdubbing, I'm guessing. No, um,
1: the principle was we'd always record together as a group. Yeah. In the studio, not in the vocal move, uh, vocal booth, and sometimes Nod's Nod's vocal at that time would be kept. Yeah, It would be kept from the point of view it actually might be the best one he's done. Yeah. Sometimes a lot of vocalists say, oh, well, you know, I don't have to, uh, you know, it's not the real one, you know, and it can be quite relaxed. Yeah. With Noddy, because he has a powerful voice, you cannot overwork that voice, you see. It's one or two takes and you don't get... If you don't get it then, it's likely not to be as good. Yeah. And he does that sometimes and Chaz goes, right, I'm going to keep these vocals and we'll we'll look at it later. And you might find you'll have one set of vocal. you will then probably repair the odd bit yeah. and slot it in because everything was on tape then, you see. Mm. It wasn't cut and paste and, and technology. It was technology, but it was that kind of technology. And that's the thing. Is we play as a band... And then would you, you overdub
2: guitar, like more guitar parts I'd on top replace. of that? You'd go in.
1: What I do is when I play, um, you play to get the actual take. And then what you've got is really the drummer. The drummer is captured because you don't want to be re-recording the drummer. Yeah,
2: that's when it gets tricky.
1: And also, what you've got to remember about those recordings is it starts off at one tempo, right? And at the end, it's slightly faster. Yeah. But you don't notice because as you listen to the record, it's moving. Yeah. And so naturally speaking, when you play live, you don't play quantized same. If you you use a drum machine, for instance, if you use a drum machine, you can hear it's a drum machine because every bass drum is exactly the same sound. Yeah. Yeah. A real drummer doesn't sound like that, you say When a drummer's going, boom, snare, boom, snare, the snare, every time he hits the snare, it, although it's a similar sound, it's not quite the That's same. It's a human factor, it's not perfect. No, and, and also what people need to know is when we do the choruses, you don't do one set of choruses, then copy it and paste it yeah. in another section. You do each chorus and you do the lot one by one. So when you get to the next chorus, right, it's not quite the same as the one you just heard. It's probably slightly edgier because as you proceed through a song, it's the same with my guitar playing. I can maybe not sit at home and try and totally work out what I'm going to play. But when I play a track, as it feeds into your brain, you go in and you start. And what... What I can do is, or what seems to happen is, something speaks to me in a sense of what I should play and what I shouldn't play. It's like something goes...
2: Are you saying a lot of those solos on the record are improvised as you're doing it? You've not sat at home the night before. I, I, I
1: I couldn't say that I didn't do that. I would say that sometimes I'm in the studio... And I would say some of the things is what we call on the hoof, yeah. which means you are thinking it yeah. on the day. Great. Creative people are not necessarily sitting at home playing, you know, you know the, the element of like, do you practice? <laughs> well, I do, but actually that's playing. Yeah. You know. Practicing is, do I do scales? No, I don't do scales. No, no I don't do scales. Because that sounds to me like, ooh, Pentatonic, yeah, uh, yeah. mixolydian. I, I mean, I never knew what those words were when I first. I played all those things when I was young, but didn't know. I didn't know the, the name terms. of them. It was natural, and I don't. I mean, some people say it's a lot of rubbish, you know. They, you know, oh, so technical, man. You know, but actually, actually, it doesn't speak to you. the The solo you picked on earlier, the way it's. It's a a feeling, you see, because you're actually putting your own personal energy into that. And it's not about going... Because there's a lot of players these days that we call them the wibbly-widlies, you know. And it doesn't say anything, it blows over your head. And then you get guitar players like Eric Clapton, you get guitar players like Billy Gibbons and ZZ Top, you get guitar players like, I don't know, David... not Paul Kossoff, you know, who's long gone now, but... He's sort of, he's more. Um, how can I say? Um, economical.
2: It's the gaps. Yeah, the it's, gaps are what make it. It's
1: a bit that, that maybe somebody will try and play ex- an extra note. It's the fact that he's missed that. Yeah. It's actually, because there is something uh, that that comes across, and my wife always notices in the playing. When there's a lack of it, she'll say there's not enough guitar on, that, right, right, or something. And it's not that she's bolstering my ego; she's not like that. No. But it's something that. Oh, I
2: love your missus, by the way, from this book. From what I've read about her, what well, she's a superstar. She is.
1: Well, she's solid, <laughs> and, she? and she's a, she's a black country girl. You know that's, that means work. You know, you grew up in factories and things she's like that. Great. You know, and and basically, she didn't like groups anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> so and she's blonde and (laughs) and I met her at a time when you know it was all miniskirts and twiggy and all that sort of stuff you know how long
2: you been with her that's over 50 years isn't it
1: Um, no not quite that long oh we got married in 73. Right, okay. So when the, the big year... 45. So yeah. we went to America and got married in Tijuana, which is a dump. And, and it's $35 to get married, you know. And we didn't think we were married, but we were.
2: But it was legal. God, there's so much I want to ask you. So I want to go back to marriage in a second. Very quickly, I just wanted the comparison of after Don had his accident, where his his, his girlfriend was killed and his memory was, <clears throat> was totally impacted, the, the way you worked in the studio then changed. And what he would do, the drums on his own... First, is that how it went? Uh, what happened
1: with the Christmas song uh, is after the accident, which we didn't know whether he was going to survive, Yeah, his girlfriend got killed. She went through the windscreen of a Rolls Royce. Right? Um, this was a horrific noise. Yeah. I didn't quite capture the impact of it when I had the phone call because it all came via Dad. Mm. And Dad's going, oh, uh, mm. I, I heard that. And then I heard my sister scream. Um, oh, and and she she had to ring. The girl who got killed Carol, was Carol's friend, mm. and she had to ring the father to find if it was true. She thought it was a nosy neighbour that was giving her. But this is like two or three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So it isn't a nosy neighbour. This is not. Yeah. And at first we thought he just had a bump. We didn't realise the immensity. It went from a bump to. He's in hospital and his girlfriend's dead. And it's all happened so quickly. And we were number one in the charts with Squeeze Me Please, mate. We'd just done Earl's Court. We'd done all the big ones. First
2: band to play Earl's Court, was that right?
1: Uh, Not the first. Bowie was before of us. I I don't think Bowie fared very well, but we did. Yeah, 20,000. And I think it was pretty remarkable. From what I heard, they laid on extra uh, trains on the underground to cope with the fans because they're all in their glitter and top hats. It must have looked amazing, actually. (laughs) Uh, 1973, can you imagine that? We'd done two London Palladiums, right? Um, One in the afternoon and one at night. In one day, we did two shows, right? And the balconies... Uh, there was caution about the balconies then they would never have us back because the fans were making the balconies move by bouncing all this kind of stuff going on but but, I mean I don't think the Palladium were quite used to our kind of music (laughs) Um, and in the audience was the Zulu actor what's his name uh, Stanley Baker yeah and Stanley Baker was sitting in a box watching us he said and Nod said, Oh, over there, Mr. Zulu. I you know, can imagine, going, you know, Mr. Zulu. I and mean, we were all scared of him, you know, Mr. Zulu. You know, but he, he, um, because we'd worked for Stanley Baker at Lincoln Festival when he actually put us on as an outsider right. group, which actually we sold the festival. We went down so well that it suddenly made a mark in the newspapers. Yeah. So. We cited Stanley Baker as being a little bit of good luck for us. Yeah. You know, he put us on. It was raining all the time, and when we went on, it stopped raining, and everybody was jumping around, and we got them going. Yeah. And he came on stage, and I was chucking glitter at him. You know, it's really <laughs> funny. Um, but moving on, I tend to uh, sidetrack. What was the first question? We, <laughs> <laughs>
2: We were, we were talking about the horrific car accident and how and, and, and just
1: Oh yeah, you were talking about the drum kit. Well what happened, yeah. what happened was we went to New York and Chaz thought, well maybe we could do the odd show with Don and see how he fares. Because what had happened with the accident, the bang on the head caused him to have a memory problem, yeah. right? And he still has a memory problem to this day, but it's not as bad. Right. But it created a concussion. So he said. couldn't
2: remember what he'd done the day before. He didn't remember. And he couldn't remember the hits.
1: Well, he couldn't remember the girl that got killed either. Really? And in fact, the girl he thought about was his old girlfriend oh, before man. it. So, oh, uh, he didn't know he couldn't taste. He didn't know he couldn't smell either. Yeah and we didn't know that until later when we found out he'll never have that back wow. right the memory thing was a point where he rings you and goes what time we're we leaving 10 minutes later done. what time we're we leaving oh, then mate. again and it you you reach a point where you have to you have to back off it yeah of course because it's quite intense because don it's a bit don's each day is like grand Dog day to Don, yeah in other words, it's a new day uh, I mean he has he had to write in those days what he was going to wear the next day and what he oh, where he was going man. so imagine that we're in New York, right, <clears throat> and this is something that really is remarkable we're in New York, John Lennon counsels some studio time at the record plant. Yeah. The record t- plant is the top studio in, in New York, right? Chas said, we'll get some free time, he said. And he knew about the Christmas song. He knew there was this idea, but he hadn't heard it. He yeah. said, said well, Chas says to, to us, we were doing nothing. He said, why don't we go in, get Don on the kit and, and record this Christmas song? So it was going to be a, a bit of a therapeutic job, you say. Yeah. So what we do, we go in together normally and record... We didn't do that this time right. because he wouldn't get through the song for a start, right, because he might get partway and stop. It, anything could happen. So what we did, which we never do, is we rebuilt the kit. Right. We got the theory of the song, but none of us really knew the song very well. we, we Jim said, this is the chords, Nod's got the lyrics, and a lot of things you hear on the record... Were thought up on the day yeah. or the week.
2: Isn't it so, funny to think of a time when even Slade didn't know the "Merry Christmas, Everybody"? Isn't it funny? It's you know. It's...
1: Yeah. Well, no, nobody knew that we were creating a phenomenon. But yeah. bearing in mind we we were huge then, and probably the biggest band in mm-hmm. Europe, and and really we'd had tragedy.
3: Yeah.
1: And that tragedy had knocked some wind out of us, you know, because we were all this before that, yep. right? It was all eh, come on, Illinois, you know, you know the kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it was all you know, squeeze me, please me, and all. That. Anyway, and so we'd already had tra- two straight to number ones. We're in New York, we're recording it. Then we started to overdub the things. Then we would replace some of the kit, and then Don plays the shuffle, which is a a characteristic thing he does on records yeah. with Slay, and that really worked. And he, he wasn't losing it at all. He might be asking you the same question every half an hour, but he he did it. We completed it never heard it mixed, you see. Yeah. We did all the backing vocals in the corridor where the office people were coming in. <laughs> And,
2: in the middle of summer, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah,
1: in the middle of summer, it's 100 degrees outside, <laughs> and they think in these a bunch of lunatics from England singing about Christmas, yeah. and they're going to work in the offices. You say, and you imagine these buildings in New York—they they're monsters. These buildings. So we're doing that, then we leave it, and then we walk away, and we—I think we did one or two shows. You yeah. see, and then we went back to England. Chaz took the tapes and took them to England to work on them with an engineer at Olympic Studios where he always did slide Records. And they mixed it, right? And it wasn't until... I don't think we'd even heard it, actually. I think it wasn't until we were in Belgium, right? And we were doing some promotion. And the premise of this song was coming out. And then we got a phone call from the record company. And there's this sort of... Uh-huh, sort of. It sounds a little bit French to me. Like, <laughs> Sven, what a marvellous record. He said, I've just received this record from England. He said, I think it's wonderful. He said, this is just right for um, for, for Belgium. And the fans will love it. Come into the office and we'll have some champagne. Well, this is nine o'clock in the morning, right? <laughs> uh, and we just had breakfast. <laughs> and uh, and it's like, uh, and of course, we're quite comical, like, Let's pop down. and Have some champagne, don't we? You know, it was a little bit like that. So we yeah. all went in, and we got the wives with us. I got my wife with yeah. me, yeah. and because they were with us, you know, we were doing the tour, and um, he puts it on, you see, and we're listening, going, "Oh, yeah, oh, oh yeah." I said, "We well, haven't really heard it, you know." It's uh, oh, yeah, it sounds pretty good. Champagne, Morton and Shannon comes out, you know, glug, 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 bubble wobble. More champagne? Yeah, more champagne. we played it again. And then by the time the third time he played it, we were smashed. <laughs> and 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 we we're all going, Yay, it hey, does sound good, I think you're right. You know, it's a little bit like that. Yeah, of course. And then when we got back to England, obviously we'd spoke to Chas, and Chas said, Phew, it's <laughs> Radio One's going crazy about it. It was all a bit like that. And the record company's doing their pieces about it. And we got home. And I went up to Solihull where I lived, and he rung me, Chaz, and he said, are oh, you sitting down, man? I said, what do you mean? He said, half a million records have gone out today. Wow. Half a million records now. We're keeping the charts for 20 years. Those numbers. Never mind. Mean, sounds crazy, those numbers. You know, uh, uh, and it was like half a million records, you know. It was almost like a firecracker, you know. Mm. It was like, do you know, you cannot stop the river. Pushing, yeah. and it was just something like a force of nature that something made a direct connection with the public in 1973 when there was three-day strikes, three-day working hours strikes. tellies went off at 10 o'clock. Oh, it was grim, People and it was—it's yeah, was probably worse than Brexit. Yeah, if it can get much worse than that. Uh, but it was—it was that kind of like a bit despondent. A bit sort of, and then this record comes out, and it hit the. I think it's because it's so damn British, and I think it's so in your face, not jingle bells. It's not about that. It's about exactly what you do at Christmas, right? The family coming around, the granny line about the oh, whole genius. song. It's, yeah it's but that's so simple. And not actually went down to his dad's council house and had a few beers and wrote those lyrics, right? That's exactly what happened. He goes there and he writes a lyric. I think he had a spontaneous, spontaneous spontaneity moment. But he, he wrote the lyrics, I think in a sense of not listening to Jingle Bells or, or yeah. you know, Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. Because that's that's the idea of the songs. When the the granny said to Nod or said to Jim, I think it was, no one writes Christmas songs. They're all the same old ones, wonderful as they are, right? Because it used to be all the Ronettes and all them oh, songs, or the, the Ronettes Phil Spector yeah. album, or it was Dean Martin, or it was Bing Crosby. Those were the Christmas songs yeah. of our era, but this was a rock song by a rock band, and and it was like. What is this? And and no other record, even though Roy Wood had got a really good song, which he had, I think he would have been one if ours hadn't have come out. I'm I'm sure of that. But Roy's is a very good record. But as the difference between the number two and the number one is vast. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you know that. Yeah. But it's not like, there's oh, a few more copies, you number one. No, there's not. It's like hundreds of thousands yeah. more copies are going out. But they run out Typical British. They run out of records, right? And they had to import them from Germany. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, it got the demand. They run out of records. But it was number one, I think the first two weeks in January, still number still one. Still going on. But nobody was thinking the following year or the year after. And... Crikey! Was anybody thinking of forty-five
2: yeah. years later? Oh, it's, it's nuts.
1: You know, people have come and died since those. <laughs> days. You know, I mean, you know, people have happened and died since those Dave, days. Dave, listen,
2: I have to go to the news. Can you stick around? Do you, do you mind sticking around for another twenty minutes? Or have you got to shoot? If you got to shoot off, you shoot off. Can we have another fifteen? As long as you get me on. We are getting you a cab, sir. Can we can we keep you till quarter past eleven? Would you mind? Yeah, as long but... as I can get back to the hotel about twelve. We will, right. You'll be back before oh, yeah. then. Bless you, Dave. Thank you so much. Because I've not asked you about. Um, Flame I've not we've not talked about your you know you talk about mental health a lot in the book we've got Dave Hill uh from Slade brilliant guitarist the book is uh, so here it is um it's out now in paperback if you've got the hardback get this one as well because it's got an extra chapter yeah. if you get it from big green bookshop you can get it signed you can get it in all the usual places Well, you can it's a cracking read
1: and you can get a silver copy from it's a spe- silver is the only one in uh, uh, Sainsbury's oh uh, okay Saints of his have got an exclusive. Oh on this brilliant. Book. So it's in about eighty stores up and down the country oh, selling the silver version. So they slightly altered it with the name on the top. Yeah. And um, and one thing or another. Limited
2: edition. So yeah, like, honestly, see was making with... And I suppose you've noticed the quote from
1: Noel Gallagher. Yeah, I, I
2: wanna work. No slade equals no Oasis. Yeah, that's I'm not a fan of no I'm not a fan of Oasis, so maybe we need to yeah. talk about that. <laughs> well, it's it's purely the fact that he said it. Yeah. I mean I didn't Put those words. No. in he was mad. Listen, we're we'll going to have a quick break. We'll come back in a minute. We've got some more Dave Hill. This is the late night alternative on Talk Radio
3: across the UK, online, online and on DAB. Talk Radio.
2: We'll get you talking. We've got Dave Hill from Slave for another ten minutes or so. The book is brilliant. So here it is. Um, it's his autobiography. Uh, you can get it from Big Green Bookshop. Get it from Amazon. There is a special edition only in Sainsbury's with a silver cover. If you want something a bit special. Um, I tell you, the, the, what's really interesting, Dave, you write, this touches on a lot of stuff that I wasn't expecting for you. The first chapter about your mum. God, your mum had a life, didn't she? The stuff she went through, that poor woman mm. um, with uh, the, the uh, your elder sister, you know, the whole thing of having a, a, what we used to call an illegitimate baby, a baby out of wedlock. Mm. The shame that was kind of the, the young women suffered at that point. And you speak very openly about your mum's struggles and your mum's mental health she was um she was a remarkable woman it sounds like who went through a lot didn't she she struggled a lot yeah she's
1: um it's a difficult thing because you there were incidents at home which were unpleasant i mean when i was old enough to notice that's when i noticed yeah so when you're really young stuff happens doesn't it you know Um, I found, they found some letters in Dad's council house upstairs and the letter was Mum writing to her sister and she was talking about ending it and I was Uh, only one. She uh, said if it wasn't for David, uh, it was just, she said sometimes it was just a comment, I'm not saying she meant it, you know, because she'd had me, right, Mm. before she had my sister. But the first time I noticed it was um, she used to seem to be unhappy when we went on holiday. She was more happy when she was working in the office, as if busyness maybe covered up Mm -hmm. um, the thoughts of um, what was really going on. Um, I mean, I'm sure she would have wanted to end the pregnancy of the child out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. I'm sure of that because of the family she came from in a sense of high church people granddad was the um organist at the church right uh, and a
2: very well-to-do family as well yeah wasn't they, i know?
1: think I, I think yeah they got a car they <laughs> well they are. <laughs> i know i
2: love the fact that that, that in those times yeah that well no one we are cars. talking about
1: 1920s yeah, yeah. you know and mom as a child i don't know exactly what how it was hidden or how it was coped with. All I know is that mom had a or they had a companion uh, for Jean, that's the child mm. um, no one knows who the father is but we suspect it could be somebody in politics somebody important maybe she worked for I don't know, he was certainly married mm. there is no nothing on the birth certificate but if you kind of work it out you can work it out as you get older because you start to sort of think oh I can see now what was going on Uh, when I went in search of a relation who was the son of my mom's sister Mm. he made a point of saying to me the pregnancy at that time was absolute taboo it was bad enough in the 50s Mm. to become pregnant and not married but in the 1920s and 30s The sin and guilt of punishment was another word that I heard. You know, um, anything that went wrong, I suffer slightly this problem myself, is if you think you do something which you don't think is good, it might reflect an outcome to something else. Um, For instance, it's almost like... You better be good, else nothing's going to be good for you. Well, that actually is totally untrue, but unfortunately, when you're depressed, it becomes almost fact to you. Yeah, of course it does. And with mom, um, I I I remember something where I, I think there've been one or two incidents, but this one in particular I remember, is I broke a window over the road mm. threw a brick at some kid, I suppose. And it went in and bust a window. Now, the next thing I know is I'm in bed. Dad's coming home. You know the kind of thing. Your father will be back and all that. And what I don't realise is she puts a scarf around her neck and lies on the floor with an empty bottle of pills. Oh. And it's a whole epic of um, a drama. I don't know what's going on in the other room, except I hear Dad come in, coming up the stairs. Get up, you silly bugger. Right, and I'm going, What do you mean, get up your silly bugger and there's these pills on the floor. She was looking like she committed suicide, mm. you say. So that's only a a small part of it, you mm. say. But that you can't sort of figure out how that can be when so you've how got old all, were
2: you got a sorry, when that when you Oh,
1: probably about eight. Right, nine so, and so, yeah,
2: young.
1: that's when you start to know, isn't it? That's when you start to when you're seven you start to be sensitive to a lot of things the outside world becomes a little bit more scary Mm. and i think little incidents like that and she came in one day and stuck a a diploma on the wall of granddad's because he was a doctor of music you say and Mm. she put it on the wall and said he's a good man well he was a good man and i'm sure he was a good father to my mom but as as the relation said, he said um, your mum being pregnant at that time was absolute taboo, and it would have actually been a shame. Oh, so sorry,
2: the implication of her putting up that that certificate, you you said, mentioned in the book, you, you take that as a criticism of you, saying he, he this was a good man and you're not. It, it,
1: do you know? I I can never, I can never have asked her that question. Yeah. At that age, you can't even reason on it. It was a reflection that she had a problem. Mm. And her father was seen as something that was good, but she'd done something which wasn't right, good. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now Jean that's was alive then, you see, and Jean was the daughter. This was your your older. Yeah, she old lived sister. just in the flats around the corner, you see. And you guys never,
2: you guys at the time didn't know about her. Uh,
1: I didn't know quite. Yes, I didn't. You did at that point. Right. I didn't know that it wasn't Dad's daughter. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. I didn't know mom and dad weren't married either. I didn't know about the fake wedding there. Fake wedding. Yeah. The fake. To avoid. The Once shame. again, uh, yeah, it was to make an honest woman of her, and and probably make things look right for for Jean, you know.
2: And they faked it by going to a registry office. Yeah, with they, friends and family going in without them, then coming out saying... Coming out married. with a ring,
1: yeah, and and going, yes, Incredible. this is all fine. Of course, dad's married, you see, yeah, and his wife won't. Divorce him, but you won't have his children, are there? Mm. So, I, I, if you picture the story almost like um, a, a kind of war drama where you there's two people, right? Mom's in the office, dad's on the shop floor. Mm. It's an underground factory, ammunition factory, I say. I assume Mom's not work, working for the war cabinet minister then. She's working in an office, right? And I guess Mom's fairly pretty. She sees dad and they meet and. Dad's a bit of a dapper guy. You know, he may be a mechanic, but he knows how to dress. And something happens there, and it's quite romantic. So I think they're kind of locked together. And bearing in mind Dad didn't even know Mum had got a child Mm -hmm. then, you see. Except that he noticed she keep disappearing to go and make a phone call, and he followed her one day, and so he was ringing because he thought she was having an affair, yeah. which she wasn't. She was ringing her daughter, so that came out. out. It's it, it, it's interesting, but I kind of, if you look at the way they make dramas now, you can imagine going back to that time, you know, where I, I remember when Mum went to work, they wore. Sort of slightly shouldered, shouldery suit mm. type. Mom was very smart going to work, office, she was fine. And we were latch kids, latch dog. you know, the latch, latch, geekers, kids. Uh, yeah, latch yeah. kids. So, therefore, we were at school, we had to go to someone's house until mom got back from yeah. work. But mom was okay there, and that was okay. But these incidents were little spots of time in my life where there were indications of something. On a deeper level, yeah. what we didn't know is that that uh, characteristic of something going wrong. I think that the worst thing that really happened was the loss of Jean,
2: because she died, didn't she? Very young.
1: Yeah, but there's a story behind Jean, which also is damaging. Yeah. Um, Jean was born with a fits problem. Right. Now. Whether mom attempted to uh, uh, abort the child, I don't know really what happened. Mom might be blaming herself that she's having fits because of something mom did. So I don't know. She's not alive for me to ask her. Yeah. Right. But I'm trying to figure the story in a sense that she was carrying this. So if anything goes wrong at any point, uh, it's, it's connected mm. or it could be. Now, you see a woman on the one hand who's teaching the neighbours, you know, I've seen the neighbours and they've done little stories for the book, you know. Oh, your mum was a wonderful woman. She got my daughter a job and teached You know, she was like that. And she wrote letters for the neighbours to... to um, to official people, like she'd make phone calls for them as well because yeah. people
2: didn't know how to use phones. No, and they was didn't have job. a phone anyway. <laughs> yeah, so she would she would yeah. make phone calls because she yeah. knew what to do.
1: And, love that. And, and so she she's a good she really is yeah, a good woman. She sounds it. And, and and she's a good mom. Yeah. When I got into trouble once, because me and my mate got into school once at night, right? And it's <laughs> a commonly known story. Yeah. But we we weren't up. We weren't causing damage. We got through the window and went and played football in the gym, you yeah. know, and i a laugh. You see. And then, um, you yeah, know, one thing or another, and then somebody else broke in, and something happened before, and then there was a a police incident and an inquiries, and we got in trouble, so and a mom, mom would mom was sharp, you know and and <laughs> up, can I love you it. vision this story uh, i'm I'm in senior school, right, and the police come, the detectives come. <laughs> And the headmaster has me sat in the room and there are two detectives there, right? And they're asking me questions. Right? Now,
2: do you see something wrong there? Well, yeah, you're a kid being, being yeah. interviewed by the police. Yeah. yeah. mom knew that. She spotted it. Oh, yeah. She
1: was on to the chief of police. <laughs> she said, yes. you, how dare you interview and, and, and question my son? Yeah. Uh, he's underage for a start. She knew the law. Because she was she was clever. So she was on it right away. And, and be honest with you, I think that's basically what smoothed it down. Yeah. But she knew the chief of police anyway because yeah. t- t- it was just a question of a phone call. But she was quite correct. The headmaster of the school, and I won't mention the school. No. I won't mention the school. I think he was going, <laughs> he was going to be moved to a grammar school. <laughs> and it, he was a strange-looking colour, so I won't tell you who he looked like. We had some jokes about that. And he used to wear... <laughs> <laughs> and and, and he, he used to wear a cape and walk around. And, like, and he kept keep fetching me out of class, going, <clears throat> what's your mother doing? You know, I thought he was going to whack me. He was terrified. that She had him, him He said, I, your mom, what did your mum say? And I, going, I don't know what she said. You know, I don't know the policeman, you know. But it, it was a defining moment in my life. I'd got into trouble. And mom would probably say, I had to tell mom and dad I'd sneaked into a school, right. She said, I said... And Dad goes, what do you mean you sneaked into a school? I said, me and Tony sneaked into a school. You sneaked into a school? He said, yeah. And the police are coming round later on. Can you imagine me telling them that? The, the police are coming round, the mum's going, and they didn't turn up. Yeah. And t- and she said, the police, and they've interviewed you. And she was on it. The next day, crows were flying. And um, and then eventually it led to us going up to the um, the police place and... And 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 saying, uh, well, have you learnt a lesson, boy? Yes, I've learnt a lesson. I won't do it again. No, I won't do it again. We hadn't done anything that bad, <laughs> but but the point is, it was all part of a syndrome. So, okay, we got over that. Then they come to visit me many le- weeks later, and I was kind of sheepishly going to the door. Hello, <laughs> coming in, and it was a bit sort of like, oh. Your, your son, Mrs Hill, looks like he's changed, you know. <laughs> he's
2: his looks lesson. like
1: he's changed. It's just like I was trying to be a goody-goody. But i tell you one thing, my mum didn't stop me playing with a boy that yeah. went in that school with Good. me because, in a way, we were bored. And yeah. I think when we found something, Easy. I found something that worked for me, I focused all, all my energy into that guitar. And I think that, that was, that's been my saviour yeah. through a depression, through stroke, Stroke on stage? Stroke on stage. Um, Depression, serious depression I had. See, a lot of people think I don't have a bad day because I always look happy. I am a happy person. I've got a great wife. I've got five grandkids. I've got a a lot of nice things. And people say, oh, I bet you're really rich. And I said, well, actually, I'm not rich in money. I said, I've never earned that much money out of this. I said, but I'm rich in family, and that's more important. I know, in a sense, and that's what's in the the story he's actually how i look at things in the in in the light of all things the bigger picture i mean i got into wordsworth a a few years ago and i read a thing called lines written above tintan abbey and it spoke to me about nature and it spoke to me in a different way about how to view maybe what we're doing here why are we here in a sense of not this arch- archetype of sort of, uh, you know, um, not that I don't have faith in God. I'm not saying I don't, uh, I don't disbelieve. Well, you hint stuff. in the book, but, but,
2: you, you've been on kind of a spiritual journey. Yeah, I, I've been looking for, I've been, yeah, I've been, I mean,
1: in in a sense, the music we do is is spiritual as well, because I think it's, it's uplifting, it does things for people and, and it does things for me and my reaction with the audience, you know, we're doing that gig in London at the Hulu University. I mean, when we play there, there is a spirit taking place and a sense of happiness and and they feel good, I feel good, we're into play, you see. So actually, even when I was suffering depression, my psychiatrist, who eventually got me well, said, there's one thing you did and it was a good job you didn't stop doing it, is you dragged yourself on stage Mm -hmm. and played. Because when you play and, injecting endorphins mm. into you, you're great for that time, but the next day you're back to square one.
2: Dave, we need to let you go because your missus is going to be furious with us. I know, I know. Listen, down. I, you... very quickly, just say, I was so pleased as well to see that, that, that Nod, Nod's written the forwards to this. Yeah. I... You, you, you guys all right now? We, we've we always been all right. You get
1: kind of comments in every band when bands split up. Oh, oh they're all arguing. No, we're not all arguing. Basically, Nod had, had enough and yeah. wanted to come away from it totally yeah and he's chose his path my my thoughts on nod and jim although they're not with me now is i see nod frequently really good uh comes down to see me and i did say to him one day when he came down i said hey would you like to do a forward?" the book company have asked and he said yeah he said brilliant I'll write all the jokes about it, you know, or something that's really funny. But actually, he's,
0: he's a, a think, really nice little. He's a he's thinking written. man. Yeah, and he went away,
1: and he made the comments about the guitar playing. Yeah, and when I offered him the job in the band and three lead guitarists and all that kind of stuff, he mentions that. And obviously, Noel Gallagher's uh, the comment is only yeah. because I ran into Noel Gallagher at the airport. Did at you really? Terminal five, and he just came and he said. Uh, I'm a fan, and I said I, I'm aware of, aware of that. He said because uh, I knew he liked how does it feel. And I yeah. said it's a great song. Anyway, they they done come on feel the night, so I was aware of Noel. He's a nice guy, yeah. And uh, we just exchanged the odd text on the phone, you see. And then one day I just said, "Would you like to do a few words about you and Liam growing up in council houses, watching top of the Pops Yeah, and he did, and precisely Brilliant. what he said, and I didn't tell him what to say. He says what he says. Uh, No Slade, no Oasis. I mean, I didn't expect that. That That's rather nice. That's a great line. But it's it's also... uh, To Noel, I suppose, what he's saying is that this is the truth. Yeah. This is... It's a bit like what the Beatles did for me, you know. Okay, Hank Marvin was everything at one time. But the Beatles, in 1963, and I turned professional, right... And I grow my hair, um, and I feel more confident. And Mum and Dad go, "Give it a go, son." Yeah. And that's
2: exactly what I did, Dave. You've got to go. Jan is listening and to I this And I've got to go. For God's <laughs> sakes. yes. That's uh, this it. is listen. The book is a, it's a real joy, Dave Hill. So here it is. Uh, you get it from. Um, you get it from a place you usually get books, Amazon, all those places. If you go to Sainsbury's, was it yeah, so it, it, it's in Smith's as well. In Sainsbury's the, has got the silver cover. It, and the silver
1: cover is a special one for Sainsbury's that wanted an exclusive cover. And
2: it's, honestly, it's a great, release. but
1: but but it's got an extra chapter about 1973 yeah. and beyond, and I think you might get. The way I've been talking tonight, you might get the idea of what it's really all about when you go through the whole lot, is that everybody has problems and everybody has things to share. We're not that far different from each other in life. We all have gifts in different ways and we all do what we do. But basically, we're all serving each other in this life. And if you find something that does some good, as I did,
2: then if you believe in it, do it. I love you, man. I genuinely love you. Thank you so much for the music. Seriously, yeah. thank you. Uh, this is Talk Radio.
0: Talk Radio.
2: Contact Talk Radio. Call 0344 499 1000. Text TALK and your message to 8722. Text costs 25p plus your standard network rate. Or you can tweet us at Talk Radio. Talk
0: Radio. We'll get you talking.
4: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.